BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Steve. This week on The Cinephiles, we are finally leaving the early 80s and heading all the way back to 1952 in the classic western, High Noon. This will be the first Western on the Cinephiles, and it's a genre both John and I love. High Noon is the story of an aging sheriff played by Gary Cooper who is forced to stand alone against a band of outlaws when the town he's sworn to protect, his deputies, his friends, and even the woman he loves all turn their back on him. It's a story of honor, courage, and the politics of fear. The film has a great cast, including a very young Lloyd Bridges, Thomas Mitchell, Lee Van Cleef, Katie Girardo, and Grace Kelly in her screen debut. High Noon is fast-paced, tense, and a must-see for any lover of American films. It's available for rental and purchase on Apple and YouTube, and it often pops up on Stars and Encore if you subscribe to those channels. It's a great movie, and we have a great time talking about it on the show. See you then. everyone welcome to the cinephiles my name is steve morris hey i'm john roca and uh, each week on the cinephiles we like to take a classic film break it down into its components talk about its history its significance the filmmaking the acting the writing the music and talk about how it's affected movies uh throughout history yeah and its effect on us as well and how we came to it and uh why why we are choosing to highlight it to any week that we choose a film, right? Absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, this week our film is High Noon. High Noon. This is the classic Western. How did you, how'd you come to this film, John? High Noon. Interesting. interesting. Well, obviously, I, I've always been a cinephile since I was 10 years old, and I, I have a, such a soft spot for Western. Did you have the word cinephile? No, I know. Like, I know I Dad, I'm a cinephile. <laughs> it was just like, Daddy, I love movies. Uh, but no, I, I, I was such a huge fan of, of Westerns, and I'd heard about High Noon many, many times. And the whole idea of one person against everything. And then I think in film school, when I was at Florida State, I wasn't doing a film school, but I was there studying film as a minor. Uh, that was one of the films that came up. And so I was like, okay, definitely, let's take so a you, So you watched it in college? Yeah, I rented it as a laser disc and watched it uh, in college or as a VHS. I can't remember. I was able to rent either one in the libraries and sit and watch in a place. So, yeah. Yeah, for, for me, so so my dad... You wouldn't think this from like the short, balding Jewish optometrist, <laughs> but my dad wanted to be a cowboy. That's oh really? Oh yeah. Oh big time. How funny! To the point where whenever we went up, we would go up to the mountains every summer, mm -hmm. and he'd get his cowboy hat on and his boots, and we'd go ride horses. Yeah. He wanted to be. We called it the Jewish cavalry. Yeah. Um, we'd go out, um, uh, and he loved westerns. Just loved them. Wow. And in particular, sort of, you know, those westerns of the fifties. Most of the like the TV shows. So I grew up yeah. with. 
Maverick and Bonanza, right. Gunsmoke, Gunsmoke, and watching those. And so I'd probably watched High Noon with my dad. Maybe it was junior high. Okay. But it all sort of went into the Western, you know, my dad's yeah. Westerns. And it's not that he didn't like it, but I didn't really think about it. And I didn't come to it again until doing, you and I both did the same dumb job for a certain amount of time, which oh, was yes. quality control on DVDs. Yes. So suddenly I get the DVD of High Noon because they're coming out with a new disc. Nice. And I went, oh yeah, High Noon. And I watched it and it just blew my mind because yeah. I, I, had, I think I had mentally disrespected it. It's yeah. like, oh, it's an old fashioned Western. It's well, 85 minutes. Yeah. It's right, like, how hefty it, can it be? It's yeah. not one of the big, epic, glorious John Ford kind of movies. Right. This is a, a, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then I went, oh my God, this is great. And what's interesting, I don't think I had watched it since then. So that's 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I watched it again for the show. Mm -hmm. Same experience. Yeah. It blew my mind how good this movie is. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think for me, rewatching it for the show, I went in with the same uh, skepticism that I always go in with this movie, which is like, how is it going to keep my attention? It's only 85 minutes. Like, what is it? But the film, the first 10, it's 15... It's interesting that you focus on the length. Like, that isn't a thing... I think it's interesting. Yeah. But I don't go... Therefore, it wouldn't be as good. Well, I'm a verbose person. So to me, to me, if it's not... Strange career path you've chosen. <laughs> it's true. Uh, when, when, it's, when it's not a, a long thing, I, I sometimes can question how much weight and time they have to really explore uh, the themes or the subject uh, that they're doing in, on the film, on film. Yet short movies are can be very amazing for me. Ten minutes, five minute movies sometimes can be very powerful. Uh, but so for something like this, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, it had been a while as well. But like walking into it, after you get past the idea that it's Gary Cooper, you see Grace Kelly, you forget these are moments in time in these people's careers. Yeah. The beginning of Lloyd Bridges, Lee Van Cleef, you know, these great actors, you start to see what the mess, what this, what's going on in this film, what the message of the film is, and what we have seen numerous times since 1951, which is when I think this film came out, where we've seen one man against insurmountable odds, right, or one person against insurmountable odds you forget how novel this really was. And when you do research on the film, you find out what the film was analogous to, what was going on at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the, for me, the length thing is always interesting because I too, you might've noticed, yeah. I'm a verbose person. <laughs> Which is why we're and, doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and my struggle in screenwriting has always been cut it down. Because I yeah. have so much that I want to do, so much that I want to say. I've written, you know, there's screenplays where I had one screenplay where my first draft of the screenplay was 195 pages. Wow. You know, and right. I had to get, okay, now get it down to 100 pages, yeah. 110 pages. So when I look at a short film, you know, shorter film like this, I'm so impressed. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, just like, how did you, the, and, and that's one thing, and we'll talk about it in greater detail mm -hmm. with this film, but the efficiency of it is, is remarkable. Yeah. Is they get so much out of so little. Um, so for those of you who haven't seen it, yeah. and, we, and we do recommend, by the way, that uh, it, if you haven't seen the film, it's probably more fun to watch it first. Right. And then listen to us rather than wondering what the heck we're talking about. Unless you're like Billy Crystal and When Harry Met Sally and you like to read the last page of the book. But then we're getting then you, so then there's going to be a lot of, this is some 1951 uh, spoiler alerts. Coming. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the film is a is a, a Western in a small town starring Gary Cooper. Yes. And Gary Cooper is the marshal and he is retiring. And at the very beginning of the film, he marries beautiful young Grace Kelly. Who is 21 years old at the time. Yeah, this is her first film, I first think. First film. 
and uh, they get married. And at that moment, he hangs up his badge mm-hmm. and is about to leave town when they hear word that what's his name, Frank Miller. Uh, Frank Miller, yeah, which I love. Frank Miller, <laughs> um, author, author, comic book artist. Yeah, right. Actually, by the way, I would be scared if I heard Frank Miller is coming to town. That's true, even now in this even condition. Today, yeah, yeah. Um, but but no. So Frank Miller, old dangerous gunslinger, is coming back to town on yeah. the twelve o'clock train. Yeah, and. Gary Cooper makes the decision to stay. He doesn't have to. There's a new marshal coming to town the next day, but he feels the right thing to do is to stay. Yeah. And the, really, the body of the film, what's really interesting, because I, I, I was always fascinated watching time. I tend to turn on the mm-hmm. the uh, the info on my DVD to see, well, how far are we? What's happened at this moment? Yeah. And uh, the bad guy doesn't show up uh, until an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. So, so exactly at noon in the movie. Yeah, at noon in the movie, it's yeah. an hour and ten minutes of a hundred of an hour and twenty six minute film. Yep. So we only actually see the bad guy for sixteen minutes of the film. Right. The body of the film is Gary Cooper trying to get help. Yes. I don't want to face this guy alone. And the and the story is what we learn about is that the previous time they got this guy, the whole town came together mm-hmm. to get him. And for whatever reason, that's not happening this time. Right. And also, when they got him the first time, uh, some people weren't happy about it because their businesses suffered. And you hear this in the dialogue when he's trying to recruit people, how some people, some businesses, some saloons, some other places, they lost business when Frank Miller got uh, convicted and put in jail because a lot of their he's people that he brought in weren't coming into the town anymore. And uh, Gary Cooper was cleaning the town up to make it a more a safer town, a more christian town you could probably say even though uh curious kelly's a quaker uh you you so a lot of people were upset about it so those um issues those problems come to the surface when frank is on his way back on the train on the new train and and this is really what and maybe we'll go into this in a lot more depth later because what's interesting as he goes around is every single person has their reason yes and every one of those reasons is different. Yes. For and 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 for and some of those are horrible and cowardly. Yes. And some of those you kind of go, hmm, I yeah, get it. Kind of understandable. Yeah. So 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 just to 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 go back briefly yep. again, this is 1951, and at the time, th- this is a very very different western. Mm-hmm. So so at the time, there's sort of two kinds of westerns going on in film. One is the the B or C movie Western or the serial, which are solid action. Right. They're popcorn movies. Merely only kids go to see them. Um, you know, they play in the double feature mm-hmm. with the horror movie or something like that. Yeah. And the other Westerns are the big John Ford Westerns. Right. These big, epic, beautiful Westerns shot on location in Monument Valley yeah. with beautiful, uh, you know, in CinemaScope, widescreen, lush, uh, gorgeous, scenic Westerns. Yeah. And this is not that. This is a Western that's shot all in one town. Mm-hmm. The skies are not perfectly painted clouds. Yeah. The, 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 we don't have long vistas, and we don't have action. No. It's not an action film at all. It, at the end, the action sequence is actually great. Yeah. But most of it is, this is a drama. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of ways, what I was thinking as I was watching it, is it actually fulfills Aristotle's three unities perfectly. Okay. Uh, for those of you who don't know, in Aristotle's book Poetics, he, he pontificated on every topic, even ones he really knew nothing about. <laughs> um, and the three unities are unity of time, place, and action. Um, and so what he said is to do a good play, it should all take place in the same time. It doesn't span years. So right. if it's a two-hour play, it should take two hours. Oh. It should all be in the same location. So we shouldn't go to Troy and then back to Athens. And it wow. should all be in one place. And it has, should have unity of action, which means it's about one thing. Yeah. Now, 
we can argue, and I would, that while that's really interesting, there are lots of other good ways to make a play. Yeah. But this movie hasn't. This no. is unity of time, place, and action, 100%. That's a very great point, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Because his drive, the whole film, and even when he questions himself, like, that's what's so fascinating about this film. He has the right reasons for turning around and doing and staying in the town, the right moral reasons, right? Now, he, you could argue that he's kind of ignoring his wife. He's ignoring, either, if the town doesn't want him there, why is he staying? But this is about his code, and his drive through the whole film is, the, is, the, is what you're talking about here. It is his desire to face this guy, to protect the town, and he has, a more, he has his own code as a, as a man that he has to follow and adhere to. And it is the, the, what you said, the third thing that is the driving, unity of, the unity of action. Everything he does is in that code, in that reason, you know, in that unity of action. And at the end, when nobody comes out to help him and he has to do it on his own except for a very uh, convenient uh, bullet in the back to one of the sure. one of the criminals, uh, he never uh, wavers from it. I mean, he has questions, but he never wavers from it. I would say. So, so, and let's talk about this. Did you? Because I had this experience. Yeah. You're watching the movie. Yeah. Did you at times question his code and go, "Man, maybe you should go." No, because enough people questioned him that were unsavory that made me stay. Like, no, this guy, he should. Yeah, he should do what he's doing because he has a responsibility to himself, to the town and whether he lives or dies, he's living or dying on his terms. And I think, and I respect that. So I, I, I do too, but I wavered. I yeah. definitely waver watching that movie because, uh -huh. and so, and let's go through some of them. Well, you're a dad. Yeah, I am not. So maybe I, I'm more singular. You know? Well, There's a certain point where it's like, if nobody wants your help and none of them are going to help you, right. why am I protecting them? You know, it's like if they're all saying, get the hell out. Yeah. And so let's go through some of them. Sure. They're really interesting. So the first, I won't call it betrayal, but the first person that says, I'm not going with you. Yeah. Is Grace Kelly. Yes. So she's a very powerful. Yeah. Uh, move by her. Yeah. So it's literally their wedding day. Yeah. It is minutes after man and wife has happened and they're going to skip town and he goes, no, I got to go back. And right. she goes, if you go back, I'm not going with you. Yeah. And this is like, wow. It is exactly the the opposite thing that you would expect. Mm -hmm. Oh, Will. Well, I'm begging you, please, let's go. I can. Don't try to be a hero. You don't have to be a hero. Not for me. I'm not trying to be a hero. If you think I like this, you're crazy. Look, Amy, this is my town. I've got friends here. I'll swear in a bunch of special deputies, and with a posse behind me, maybe there won't even be any trouble. You know there'll be trouble. Then it's better to have it here. Will, we were married just a few minutes ago. We've got our whole lives ahead of us. Doesn't that mean anything to you? You know, I've only got an hour and I've got lots to do. Stay at the hotel until it's over. No, I won't be here when it's over. You're asking me to wait an hour to find out if I'm going to be a wife or a widow. I say it's too long to wait. I won't do it. Amy. I mean it. If you won't go with me now, I'll be on that train when it leaves here. I've got to stay. Next, and then we got we've got the deputy. So the deputy is played by young Lloyd Bridges. Young, very young Lloyd Bridges. Yeah, good looking and strapping and kind of a dick. A phenomenal dick. Yeah, it's really funny because it's very modern. His guy is so millennial. 
Yeah. He's like, what am why? Uh, listen, I'll help you, but you better do this for me. It's not. He has no code. Which, what is it that he wants done for him? He wants. Uh, he wants them. He wants the uh, the town. He wants. God, I'm sorry. He wants Gary Cooper uh, to talk to the, the town fathers and tell them we don't need a new marshal. Let Lloyd Bridges uh, uh, take right. over. He, and let he, him be the new marshal. I should be the new marshal. Right. And feels betrayed. Yes. Because he because his boss didn't stand up for him. He thinks his boss didn't. Say, did Gary Cooper never confirms that he didn't yeah, stand up for we him. We don't know. To do. Uh, hold up a second. Uh, this ain't really your job, you know. Well, that's what everybody keeps telling me. Yeah, when I tell you it means something, so you can just listen a second. All right, I'm listening. Well, this is the way I see it. If you'd gone with a new marshal not due till tomorrow, I'd be in charge around here, right? Right. Well, tell me this, then. If I'm good enough to hold down the job when there's trouble, how come the city fathers didn't trust me with a permit? I don't know. Don't you? No. That's funny. I figured you carried a lot of weight. Maybe they didn't ask me. Maybe they figured you were too young. You think I'm too young, too? You sure act like it sometimes. Come on. It's very simple, Will. All you got to do is tell the old boys when they come that I'm the new marshal. And tomorrow they can tell the other fellow they're sorry, but the job's filled. You really mean it, don't you? Sure. Well, I can't do it. Why not? If you don't know, it's no use me telling you. You mean you won't do it? Have it your way. Yeah. And then he blackmails Gary Cooper and says, I'm going to fight this guy with you yeah. if you put in a good word. Right. And what does Gary Cooper do? He says, no. Yeah. Okay. And let's get out of business. You want me to stick? You put the word in for me like I said. Sure, I want you to stick. But I'm not buying it. It's got to be up to you. And we're coming up against that code of honor. Yeah. Like, can you imagine you're in a life and death situation and you're going to go, no, no, I would rather put my life at greater risk. Yeah. Then break my code of honor. Right. Now we have we have now then we have this guy show up. Oh, first we have a drunk show up. Yes. And he says who only has one eye and clearly uh, has already been through some stuff. Yeah. And Gary Cooper says, "No, I don't need your help." Right. Then we have a guy show up and says, "All right, sh- all right, Marshal, I'm ready for the posse. Let's go fight him. Where's everybody else?" Yeah. And Gary Cooper says, "Don't worry, I'll go get him." Right. Then we go to, uh, there's so many of them. Yeah. We, we go to the, uh, the big church meeting. Yes. And he makes this speech and everyone, you can see everyone's going, all right, I guess we have to fight this guy. Yeah. There's a, there's a division within the church. And then they start talking about it. And to me, this is like the moment of where politics get in the way Mm -hmm. when big groups working together, don't do the right thing. Right. And even, uh, I'll only call him Uncle Billy, but it's Thomas Mitchell, who, yes. who's from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. He's in Gone with the Wind. He's in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Washington. Yes. One of my favorite uh, character actors. Absolutely. In a really different role for him, mm-hmm. I think. He's the mayor of the town, and he gets up and he says this lovely things and thanks the marshal, and then he says, get the fuck out of town. Yeah. <laughs> he he really say, does. He does not say fuck. Yeah, right. <laughs> you all know how I feel about this man. He's a mighty brave man, a good man. He didn't have to come back here today. And for his sake and the sake of this town, I wish he hadn't. Because if he's not here when Miller comes, my hunch is there won't be any trouble. Not one bit. Tomorrow we'll have a new marshal. And if we can all agree here to offer him our services, I think we can handle anything that comes along. To me, that makes sense. To me, that's the only way out of this. Will, I think you better go while there's still time. And, and his thing is, 
you've done your service. Please get and and you could see in his mind on some level he's protecting Gary Cooper, but on some level it's just yeah cowardice well it seems like the there's what's great about these films that uh, uh focus on a small town is it takes one event to expose the fissures and you can and i think when uh, a, a film or a play is well written the fissures are so powerful when they occur and they can be very subtle but they're still no less devastating. And I think the different people that he encounters as he goes through the, and the different ways that he's rejected, even oh, yeah. up until the end when he thinks he's got at least one guy on his side, the guy says, well, listen, I've got a wife and a kid and I, you can't put me in this position. Like, well, you know, it's, it's the guy we originally met yes. saying, where's the rest of the posse? Right. Then Gary Cooper comes back into the movie and says, Hey, it's just you and me, <laughs> it's just you and me man. And you watch it. It's great. And you get yeah. it. You mm-hmm. totally like, man, I don't know. Absolutely. Um, the, the, and you even have, you have the old Marshall, which is played by Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr. So great. Um, and, and he says, he says this great line, which I think explains so much of the movies. Yeah. He says, people need some time. Yeah, when they're to get ready to go make a sacrifice. Yeah, and it seems as if the time before, when they first put this guy away, they had buildup. They had yeah, the guy, they had the threat. The guy was doing stuff right then. Right, and it built and it built probably over weeks or months or years until finally the town said enough is enough. Yeah, and they came together all as a unit and they were ready to do it. Yeah, now we have no time. Right, we have we have an hour and a half of the movie right. and Gary Cooper's going around and there isn't unity. And so everyone's kind of going, well, I'd stand up if everybody else stands up. And even so, right. and even the old Marshall, he doesn't get up to help Gary nope. Cooper. You know, and he has his own reason. Yeah. But he doesn't get up. Yeah. Um, there's also, there's an expression in um, screenwriting and filmmaking, which is show, don't tell. And show, don't tell is to me one of the most profound lessons uh, in filmmaking. And it is that I don't want to tell, explain to you what's happening. Right. I want you to observe it and understand it. And there's so many scenes in the film that do this. One of them, again, great character actor, uh, Harry Morgan. Oh, man. Mash shows up uh, as a much younger man. Yes. And he says to his wife, he sees Gary Cooper's coming, and he says, tell him I'm not here. What a cowardly move. Yeah. And so wife has to go lie to him. And in that scene, it is so clear that Gary Cooper knows that she's lying. Yep. And that she knows that he knows. (laughs) And yet they both kind of go through this thing. That is a great example of show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Another one being... He, there's the the barber. As soon as we hear the bad guys coming to town, the barber says, "We got to start making some coffins." Yeah. So Gary Cooper shows up at the barber's chair and gets himself cleaned up because he'd been in a fight. We can talk about that right. too. And uh, the and the bar he goes, "What's that noise?" And the barber gives the guy, "Hey, shut up, stop." stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and comes out and says, "Okay, goodbye, Gary Cooper." And as right. he's leaving, he's, Gary Cooper goes, "You can get back to work now." Yeah. Again, showing he knows. Right. That's what they're doing. Well, this is, and I think this is what is so powerful about his character. Well, I think Will Kane, is that his name, I think? Will Kane. Yeah, he's so powerful in that he knows better than everyone else. He's the perfect marshal for this place. Every, no one else could do it. No one else had the, the balls. No one else had the kind of moral compass to, do, to be the marshal of this town. There is a responsibility here that he has to be, he has to know better than all of them and accept their very human and logical at times frailties or weaknesses or uh, desires for self-preservation, uh, even their impulses for profit, which is what the the coffin scene is about, and what you just just uh, just uh, lightly mentioned the fight between Lloyd Bridges and right. and uh, 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 Gary and Will Kane in the barn. Uh, 
it's really f- uh, interesting to me because it it falls after he's had drinks, after he's been drinking, and he's you know at that other bar that's very like full of people that are friendly to Frank Miller, and he says, you know, if I can't I, if I can't pick my company, I won't drink in this place anymore. And it was like, oh well, excuse us. But so he's been drinking and fighting within himself. We haven't even mentioned Katie Jurado, who is fantastic. Jurado, who is fantastic. A whole other conversation. Yeah, she's fantastic in this film, but she is the impulse for Lloyd Bridges to come to this confrontation within himself as a young man that he is not being a man. He's being a boy and she calls him out on it. And then he leave, he goes to the drinking and so when he has the fight with Will Kane in the barn it is him fighting himself. Will Kane represents who he should be but he is not he hates that and he's fighting against it which is why he tries to beat him up because Will Kane in that one moment starts to think he could ride off on the horse and get out of here and be a, and leave and not fight for the town and fighting Lloyd Bridges makes him stay and it's it's just a fascinating well, and, thing. and let's because this this I think this is this is deep stuff yeah what, what what's going on with Lloyd Bridges at this moment yeah you see him watching through the window Will Kane yes and you see this stru- and it's almost this moment of oh maybe he's gonna step up yeah you know and I think he is I think he's right on the verge of becoming heroic yes discovers him in the barn and then what's really interesting is what does he you know we talk about working with actors yeah it's like okay what's your objective in this scene yeah and what he is trying to do is get will on the horse yeah and and he's saying yes get out of town to me this is i'm struggling with the am i a coward or hero right this woman who we're going to talk about too because there's a lot of stuff with her has has basically said you're a boy you're a coward all this stuff and if Will leaves, then he can feel okay about himself. Yes. Because the hero has shown himself to be a coward, and then all is okay in the world. Right. So he is fights Will essentially to save his life. Yeah. But in fact, is what he's really doing is to save his own moral conception of himself. Yeah. A negative moral conception of himself. Oh, everybody's coward. There's no her- heroism. Right. That's a profound scene. And the whole time you're going, it's it's a good fight scene. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Gary Cooper's back was terrible at yeah. the time. He had a bleeding ulcer the whole time. Yeah. And and young Bo Bridges is in the rafters of that barn while oh, they shot the scene. How fun. Yeah. He's like 11 or 12 years old, I think right. he said. Anyway, and, and what makes it the scene particularly scary in the fight scene is the horses, that you're shooting yeah. through the legs of horses. Yeah. And so you have this feeling that not only are they really kicking the shit out of each other, yeah. but man, a horse could step on them. And the whole or time, kick yeah, yeah. And the whole time you're going, this is not the fight you're supposed to be having, right? Like you're the hero, you got to go fight the real bad guys, and you're getting your ass kicked by Lloyd Bridges right he, now. He's it's such an incredibly selfish move by Lloyd Bridges. Oh, like yeah. if, if I've got an, I don't have enough to deal with. I got to fight you, who's a younger man, uh, in this barn, in these kind of precarious uh, conditions. Before I go out and f- almost face certain death against four guys, four killers, yeah. you know, I got to deal with you now, you know, and you're right. The fight I- in a way is, yeah, like he's, a, it's, it's, if he leaves, then he can actually have a stronger case to go to the town fathers and say, see, I would have done the same thing. I should be Marshall, yeah. you know, give me the job. But I think what, what gets really exposed is, and cause we never see Lloyd again after this fight we, he never comes up again oh, in the movie true. yeah and it's because will's knocked him out and he's probably dead in the, or locked out in the barn and he probably never wakes up to see what happens so he so he has to like you know kind of accept his shame so who knows what happens to lloyd bridges yeah. after this fight i don't think he's a happy dude i don't think so either i think he probably think, becomes a criminal i think this is a life-breaking moment it's funny yeah. it reminds me this this movie in a way 
uh, it's a strange analogy, but all mm. of the stuff that happens in Dark Knight with the Joker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basic, yes. The basic concept of the Joker in that movie, which is unbelievably great movie, yes. is you're all facades. Yes. When 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 push comes to sub, you believe you're going to act morally, but you won't. Right. And that's what the test is. And that's what's happening in this town yep. in this moment. Is there suddenly have to, we all are wonderful, upstanding citizens, and now, okay, prove it. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, that this is a movie that it's the end of the West because, yeah. because the train has come, and that's really the civilization has arrived, and they used to be uncivilized when Frank Miller's running around. Yeah. Getting rid of Frank Miller's like, no, we're going to be civilized now. Right. And they want to attract new business. They want to attract, they want to grow. They want to come into the modern era. Right. And then here's this turning point for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I... I don't know how deep we're going to get into this, but uh, and I don't know if we're getting ahead Very of schedule. <laughs> we're getting ahead of schedule for the the pod, but like this, uh, it was fascinating for me because I guess I had forgotten that this was supposed to be. This is basically a um, a Hollywood statement about the blacklisting yeah. of communism of the of you know the whole thing that went on in the fifties. For people that don't know, do your research. Go back and research Joseph McCarthy and communism in the fifties and how we became very scared as a society, just like what you see in the film. All the townsfolk, townsfolk, and how they reacted and how no one wanted to stand up. And it was really interesting, which is what Gary Cooper and what the filmmakers and the writer Carl Foreman was trying to say about people not standing up and defending other people and letting this red scare consume Hollywood. And um, I had no idea, or I had just forgotten, I guess, that this was supposed, this was supposed to be that kind of statement. And, you, and when you see the movie through that prism, it is fascinating to see the archetypes that he uses through those characters of people you would see in real life or in, in this whole struggle that happened during that time in the 50s here in this country. Yeah, it's a, the, you, have, you have the businessman and the politician and the, the church, the church, yes. the family man, you have all these things. And the and, and what you see is that it's really difficult to stand up when you're on your own. Yeah. And, and that's what the and this is right at the beginning of the blacklist. And Lloyd Bridges didn't work for seven years after this movie. Yeah, because of that. Right. And he has this great performance in the film. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's uh, let's talk to we haven't talked enough about oh. Gary Cooper. Yes. Gary Cooper, to me, is one of the most interesting actors of the early uh, of this era of Hollywood from yeah. the 30s through the 50s. Yeah. And, and I would say this, I'm going to say this in the worst way. <laughs> he's not a great actor. You know, when great. He, no, he, he, he doesn't have a wide range. Mm -hmm. He's his way of delivering lines is stilted and mm -hmm. odd. And yet there is something. And, 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 and let me put this in a different way. There are some actors who we expect to be chameleons. Yes. You know, Daniel Day Lewis, you can play anything. Right. And, in, and, and, and there's other actors who we expect them to be themselves. Yeah. So Arnold Schwarzenegger or John Wayne or we we see them to see them. Yeah. And Gary Cooper is definitely in that category. Yeah. And there's something and people said this about him when they would see him act on the set and they would go, he didn't do anything. <laughs> Nothing here. Right. And then you watch him on film and go, there is something here. Yeah. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game. Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, 
or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Uh, well, I mean, watching him in uh, what Mr. Deeds goes to town. Is that what it is, Mr. Deeds? No, Meet John Doe. Is. Oh, Meet John Doe. I'm sorry. Meet yeah. John Doe. And then in Pride of the Yankees yep. and in, in, in this movie as well and yep. a number of other movies. Sergeant York. Sergeant York, yeah. yeah. He is he is what I and I this is a great point you bring up Steve because to me I always felt when you're watching him he's like a reluctant film star. Yeah. It's not his it probably wasn't necessarily a thousand percent his goal. Who knows? I mean maybe there is uh, I should have done some more research on his biography but like I doesn't feel like by his performance that he is necessarily a man who wants to impress you with what he's doing. No. He says the lines, he delivers them as yeah. as earnestly as possible, as believably as possible, but there is an essence to him on film that I think people gravitate to because there is a vulnerability to every part he does that just radiates off him um, and a feeling of this this is who we should be who we would like to be and there are certain actors that really make a career out of playing those kind of parts he has a tremendous honesty yes it's just, that's a great yes he, he's honesty. just this is who i am yep. and he is really i would say maybe the ultimate american actor yeah you know just like as a as an iconic this is an american of yeah. a certain time yes of like this is who america is saying that they are right you know which is why he's the pride of the yankees yeah you know it's why he's the guy at high noon yeah and seeing in this film after rejection after rejection and carrying the weight on his shoulders getting bigger and bigger and the knowledge of his of his essentially certain death yeah rising on him and after the fight with lloyd bridges he's alone in his office or thinks he's alone yeah and he cries yeah and that moment to see gary cooper the strongest toughest silent type in the world put his hands his head in his hands and cry yeah that's a lot yeah very powerful moment and for 1951 probably incredibly ballsy yeah to show your hero doing that but it but it's it's that's what's so that's why i think that's why the film stands the test of time it is set in a certain time but is still incredibly uh um modern no matter when you're watching Absolutely. it it's timeless well, well, so speaking of which yeah and the modern elements let's talk about mrs ramirez yes because and what tell me her name again because katie jurado katie jurado jurado yeah j-u-r-a-d-o from from mexico yeah. mexican actress yeah so first of all just using a, an actual mexican actress yes. to play a latin role in a film in the early 50s yeah it's unheard of yeah no one did it yeah it was very rare and and she's so powerful Oh yeah, so understated, so 
commanding her space. And they made her a businesswoman. She wasn't cleaning things up. She wasn't working in the barn. She wasn't on the farm. She was a businesswoman. And obviously, I think there's illusions that she was a former prostitute. There are moments where she, there are moments where there are like when the, the he, she's negotiating the deal with the businessman and he starts to say, well, my wife thought she has this incredibly See, powerful stance. I actually don't. I don't think that's what it is. Okay. Because what's interesting is that she's well-respected in the town. She is. She and, and, and that what I think it is is not that she was a prostitute, but that she clearly is having sex with people. Ah, uh, okay. You know, which, okay. Which yeah, because she was era, with... Right. And, and, and that's one of the interesting things about yeah, the film. Yeah, that's a good point. When, when, so so when, we, when we are introduced to him, she is sleeping with or had yeah. a relationship with Lloyd Bridges. Yes. And she's an older woman with yes. a younger man, which again is really unusual. Yes. It's very clear they're sleeping together. Yes. You know, in 19, in 1951-ness. Yeah. You know, he's in her room. He's kind of getting dressed. We're right. like, yeah, they're sleeping together. Right. Then it becomes very clear that her previous man was... Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper. Or Will Kane, right. Yeah. And that she obviously still has feelings for him. Yes. And Gary Cooper has just gotten married and now he's at one point has to go upstairs to see her and Grace Kelly is around and yeah. aware of this previous relationship. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, we have sexually active, uh, um, professional, well-respected Mexican woman yeah. with a very, very powerful character yeah. in this film in 1952. Yeah, and before uh, Will Kane, she is with uh, Frank Miller. Right. So she, it's a fascinating thing. She adapts to whatever the town is to survive. And I, her, the speech they give her before she leaves, when she's talking either, to, I, I can't remember if she's talking to Grace Keller, if she's talking to the town father, or talking to Lloyd Bridges, who comes back. Into, yeah, it's when she's talking to Lloyd Bridges, when he comes back to her, after he says he's not going to come back to her, when he comes back to her to make out with her, try to try to be with her again, she says, I've got a, I'm alone in the world. And I'm a, I'm a Mexican woman. I'm the only one that's going to take care of myself. I have to do what I have to do to survive. And that is such a, a powerful speech they gave her, especially at that time. You're seeing this kind of uh, uh, character in this movie, and she's doing what she needs to do. So all that she's done has been a way of surviving. She knows, she understands the world. She's not wide-eyed or doe-eyed about the world or any kind of idealistic view. She's a very real view of the world in her mind and has done what she needs to do because she understands the world a hard place and she has a moral core yes definitely has a moral core first of all she says to lloyd bridges you now lo no longer have the right to touch me right you know which is a really powerful moment right and then she's talking to grace kelly and going how can you walk out on your man yeah if how can you leave you this your man is about to fight for his mm -hmm. life if he were my man yeah. which is an interesting moment because yeah. you kind of get the sense that that's probably what she would like she would have wanted yeah yeah if he were my man i would grab a gun and i would fight by his side right and you see that, and it's, it's, it is a perfect plant in the sense that uh, a plant is something that you set up early that you're going to pay off mm -hmm. later in your film. And it's a perfect plant because you know, it doesn't feel like a plant. Yeah, It's a great scene. And then later on in the film, of course, Grace Kelly is back. Yeah. And she's, there's a wonderful shot where she's waiting, and you see the gun, a gun in the foreground. And you suddenly go, oh, yeah. she's going to help. It's the guy's gun who had uh, who had abandoned him earlier. Yeah, right at the end. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I didn't realize that. It's that guy. He, he took off his and hung it up. But uh, I I I want to say that as a member of you know as a Latino guy, that is standard practice for a Latino woman. Once she is with you, she is with you, and she will fight. Even if you're wrong, she will fight 
with you behind closed doors about how wrong you are, but in public, she will defend you and she will fight for you. And I've seen this on numerous occasions in my own family uh, and my extended family and in my community at time when I growing up around that. And so that to me was such a powerful moment. I was, it felt so culturally correct right. that I was very happy to see it in the film. And it's interesting because Grace Kelly is a different character because she grew, grew up, she's white, It's the world is white at that time. Katie Jurado is not. Mrs. Ramirez is not. She has to figure out how to survive in the world. She has her code. Grace Kelly has options. She doesn't. And I think that's what's so well, fascinating. But, but it, it It's not judgment on either way. It's just fascinating. Um, uh, and what's interesting is, of course, Grace Kelly tells her story. Yes. Which is, she says, I watched my father and my brother killed by guns. Yes. And so I became a Quaker. I made a moral choice to say that violence is always wrong. Right. And so now we're into, this is big stuff. Yeah. And so the person who has chosen morally that violence is always wrong, yeah. even in defense, then makes the choice to defend. Right. Um, and shoots him in the back. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, really. And, and in addition to that, so, so Gary Cooper, he's outmatched. The bad guys finally yes. show up. And by the way, uh, uh, an unbelievable montage build to high, actual high noon, yeah. which I want to come back to in a sure, second. Sure. One thing, so now Gary Cooper's coming around, and he's going to shoot them, and he has the opportunity to shoot them without them knowing, Yeah, and he calls out the guy's name. Yes. He alerts them to his presence because, again, it's the code of honor. Right. He would rather die than sacrifice his code of honor. Right. And that's, and you, you think of, like, how does America want to see themselves? Mm -hmm. You know? Like, I don't know that you could make that movie today because I don't know that people will accept it. I think you could still make the movie. Uh, I think you'd have to put it in, in. You'd have to put those archetypes in a situation that is believable for us. And I think we're coming to that with what's happened in the political landscape. That's certainly possible. Who are we? Are we Trump's America? Yeah. Are we Hillary's America, Sanders' America, or even Cruz's America for where we are now? Who, what? Who are we? You know, because every side thinks that they're Gary Cooper and High Noon. Every yeah. every for the last four people I mentioned, every one of their fan. Their supporters think that they're Gary Cooper and High Noon, that everyone else is not standing up for them and they're having to fight the fight. And it's and unfortunately it's for all of them, I would say people who believe that yeah. is they obviously don't understand Gary Cooper and High Noon <laughs> right. because Gary Cooper is this is the code. Yeah. And I will not violate that code under any circumstance. Right. And none of these people, they're all politicians. Right. You know, they all take the shortcuts. They're, yeah, all, yeah, they're yeah. all doing what is necessary to get yeah. what it is they believe that they want. Yeah. Um, let's take a moment to talk about the music. Absolutely. So well, did you want to do the montage stuff you were talking about? Well, first? I want to, okay. Because that's music. part of that. Yes. That's part of that. So for, this is really on you. This is radical in a film. Yeah. Which is the entire score is one song. One song. One song. Right. And it's sung by Tex Ritter. Ritter right. John Ritter's father. Yes. Which is interesting. Tex Ritter's famous uh, cowboy actor and singer. Yeah. And he says uh, that this is the pr his proudest moment in his career was singing Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling at the Oscars. Oh, wow. And he did win the Oscar. Yes. And the song is used in this completely bizarre way. I was, I was thinking about it a lot, and I'm going to make the horrible mistake of singing on a podcast, Please. but I have to illustrate some, and I okay. do not have a, you have a much better voice than me. <laughs> Please. But, but it has, so it has three sort of elements they use in different places. One, it has this rhythmic component, yeah. which goes sort of dun, 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 and I don't even know what it's played on. Right. It's a very strange, artificial, and dissonant feeling to it. Mm -hmm. And then you have the, and that's sort of used whenever we see the bad guys waiting by the train, you hear this dun, 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 dun,
and it's very ominous. Mm -hmm. And then you have the the main melody, which is do 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 do, and that's used in all the romantic, all the sweet elements, all the Grace Kelly elements. Mm -hmm. That's the and it sort of represents life, where the other represents the menace. Because he talks about shooting Frank Miller down, Frank. and Amy, don't leave me, because I have right. to, yeah. Because the, the song mm -hmm. is actually telling the story yes, of the, the film. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's a really, really strange choice. Listen, I thought I had, I thought the movie was, I thought I'd gotten the wrong movie when I was watching because I don't know that I've ever seen a movie that begins with a song yeah. over, uh, over action. Yeah. The, you know, it's not a montage with credits. Their, their credits don't come until later. The first few seconds of the movie is, the, is Lee Van Cleef right. out in the middle of some pasture and waiting. And then this guy shows, and you hear the song and you're like, what is, did I come in the middle of the movie? What is, so it was, it's so different. And I, I, I struggle to think of any movie that starts with a song, action, and then the credits show up. Yeah. You know, so I, that's what I enjoyed about that as well. And then you hear it come back and get and doing research for this episode. Yeah, you, you, it was fascinating to see like, oh, yeah, there's no uh, there's no other score at the nope. time when scores were like huge, big, luscious. Yes. Orchestral scores. Yes. You have this simple Bernard song. Herman, all yeah. these things. Yeah. And you're using it and they use it in so many different ways. Yeah. And they change it a little bit or bring in different elements. Mm -hmm. I wish I could think of this other piece of the melody mm -hmm. because they use it in this montage where now it's five minutes to noon yeah hear the train whistle and now this music starts to build that you've been hearing all these elements it all comes together we're watching and like for instance they film clocks throughout the mm -hmm. movie and when you first see them it's a clock on the wall and then it's closer and then it's at a strange angle right. then it's an extreme angle then it's a big pendulum sort of moving in slow motion back and forth right and then in in, in, in this final montage to the moment of noon there's this unbelievable emotional build with this music that you've been listening to. Yeah. And, it, and it works. I, I don't know why it works, but it works the way they've constructed it. And I think because the tension is so palpable, you don't need that underscore of like, Wee! and what you saw, like you mentioned way earlier at the beginning of the podcast about B and C cowboy movies at right. the time, they would have totally had like, dun, 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 or something like these moments. But I think, I think the movie would have suffered if it had a score like that, because the moments are allowed to breathe without it. Yep. You're allowed as a viewer to take what you can from it. In doing research for this, I found that there were conservative people who believe this is a conservative film and there are liberal people who believe this is a liberal film and so it's that's what's so great about this film is that it's open to interpretation because you don't have the score to make you feel something it's your choice to feel what you need to feel and i think i think it is a conservative and liberal film yes i, I think and i think one of therefore the, an american I film mean, not, yeah yeah that's precisely it and yeah. this is not that this is a political podcast no 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 but i think one of the mistakes that we make is we look at things as us and them mm-hmm you know, like, it's, yeah. it, and so conservatives go, this is a conservative film because it has classic, heroic American values, yeah. as if liberals don't care about those values. <laughs> right. And it's a liberal film because you have this empowered woman, she's a Mexican woman who's in charge of her right. life, there's a person who believes in, in law and order, yeah. and not in criminal, and, and liberals believe in those things and think, oh, that conservatives must not believe in those things. Right. And it's like, yeah, we look at the world in different ways, but in fact, the basic core values... These are values that we share. Yeah. We, we've all been in those situations or admired people, no matter what our political bents are, uh, who have had to stand up and fight against a system 
and fighting. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt did that as a Republican. Yep. You see other Democratic presidents have done that. So it's like, it's, it's really, it's, Lincoln did that as a Republican. So it's like, it's a swinging fence back and I'm a swinging gate on a fence back and forth. It depends on what your interpretation is and wh- which way you're going, but it works either way. And I think that's what's so great about the film and so great about the character of Will Kane. It is who we want to be as Americans, which is why Gary P- Cooper was the perfect choice. He's 51 years old, right? He's, he's, he, and he carried, apparently he carried on an affair with Grace Kelly through the movie. What? Yes, they had an affair through the whole movie, which is, I mean, she's 21 years old, which stands to reason she married Prince Rainier, who was like, what, 30 years older than her? So there are some women sometimes who have just, they just like older men, and that's how it is. And it's, it was, and she, like, she came, it was her first film role, which we talked about. Um, the producer saw her on stage. Right. On a stage in a play, and immediately got her on there, and then all this, this is Stanley, happened. Stanley Kramer, by the way, Stanley Kramer, yes, yeah. yes, Stanley Kramer, who I thought directed the film but didn't, because yeah. I love Stanley Kramer. Judgment Nuremberg is one of my favorite oh, sure. films, and so uh, yeah, and so so got Shatner came, in there, so yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. But yeah, but it's the story behind the scenes is just as fascinating as the story on screen. Well, and you have Gary Cooper that's he's past his prime. He really is in many ways as the film and in real life. Yeah. Yeah. And this is to be clear, this is a small budget movie. Yes. Seven hundred thirty thousand dollars, which which even at that time was a very small budget. Yeah. Shot in 28 days, all in one location. It's a it is it is it is. You know, getting you know, you get this the aging star, and some, somehow they made this magical film. Yeah, um, nominated for a bunch of Oscars, lost in Best Picture to the greatest show on earth. Yeah, which is Cecil B. DeMille, Burt Lancaster. Not such a great movie, right? And the rumors are the reason it won is because of the Red Scare, and DeMille was one of those people that wanted to out people as communists, and the Academy gave the film the Best Picture to that film in order to appease the people who were fervently on the Red Scare bandwagon. Yeah. Fortunately. Which is ironic as hell considering what this film is about against it. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is as classic American as you get. Let's talk about the influence of this film. Sure. Um, I I, I think High Noon, even for people who haven't seen it, this phrase High Noon Mm -hmm. is one we carry around. Oh, it's going to be High Noon. Yeah. High Noon is the moment that you will be tested. That's the meaning of this. And it comes from this film, this idea that everything's going to come together in this one moment and who you, what your character is will be revealed. Right. That's something that not just in film, but throughout society has sort of this, this movie uh, typifies. Yeah. It works all, all around. Even people who haven't seen the film, they just hear the term and like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, even though there are obviously lots of great Westerns made. Yeah. This to me is the archetype. Not, not oh, interesting. Not, not the searchers. Not okay. my darling Clementine. Not stagecoach. Not stagecoach. Right. It's this movie, and and for mm. me, yes. And and part of it, it's it's the it's the one man. It's the gunfight. Mm-hmm. It's the. Uh, it, it, it's funny. So I have, so I teach film school, as you know. Yes, yes, yes. And one of the jobs I have, I, they hand me a syllabus sometimes, and I they tell me these are the things we want you to teach. Right. And at one point, they handed me. I had to teach three or four classes that were explaining every film genre and how they worked. Wow. So it was how, what is science fiction? How does science fiction work? What's a horror movie? What's a thriller, et cetera. And because you know me, I'm not, I'm going to have to figure out, okay, what do I think that is? Yes. And so I thought a lot about a Western and what is a Western? Of course, a Western is set in the old West and there are cowboys and horses and stuff, but that's not what it is. That's not like that. That's just a setting. Yeah. And what I finally came up with was, I think what a Western is, is you are on your own. Yes. In our, in our world today, 
if I'm injured, there's an ambulance. Mm-hmm. I got a phone. If there's a uh, bad guys come, they're police. If mm-hmm. those police get killed, they're more police. Yeah. If those get killed, there's a helicopter. If those, if we have bigger problems, there's a national guard. There's right. an army. We exist within a society where there is always help. Mm-hmm. We're never alone. And in the Western, in the classic Western, yeah, there's no help. Yeah. This is up to you. You're out there. And whatever problems you have, you have to solve, which is why the Western is such an American uh, 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 genre. Mm-hmm. And this movie is the platonic ideal. I know I, so I've referenced both Plato and Aristotle. Yeah, yeah. It's a deep shit on this <laughs> But it is that he is on his own. The yeah. whole movie mm-hmm. is going, you're not getting any help. Yeah. You're on your own. Well, and that's a great point you bring up, Steve. It, it, I saw Ombre recently, which is the Paul Newman film where he's a half Indian. Never and, seen it. Oh, really? Oh, I think it's it's a very good Western. And he is uh, he's on a stagecoach. Nobody wants to talk to him because he's half Native American. They think he's a, you know, he's a, a, what I don't know what the term is for a mulatto for half Native American, half white. Um, they don't want to talk to him. He's by himself until they get attacked by these band of uh, criminals. And all of a sudden, he has to save them. He doesn't have to. He can save himself, get out of there. He knows how to survive. But because he has a code, he has to take responsibility for these people that are on the stagecoach to not let them die, to find a way to get them to to get them to safety and kill these criminals. And he doesn't have to because they've turned on him just like in the movie. And so you're right. There are shades of what you're talking about throughout Westerns, throughout everything. You know, even the Wild Bunch, which is as insane a, a Western as you'll find. Oh, yeah. They're facing such insurmountable odds. They don't have to go back and save their friend. They don't. But they're they're facing uh, um, Robert Ryan who's coming after them, and then but then they decide to go in. Borgnine and all them decide yeah. to go in against all odds, alone, no other help but each other to try and face these things. And that's such a great point you make. And if you look at like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, yes. which is a story of the end of the West. Yeah, what is happening is people aren't on their own anymore. Right, society is reaching the West, and there is no space for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid anymore. Right. They can no, they can only exist in the you are on your own world yeah. in the world where there's trains and telegraphs and and who are these guys yeah. suddenly they have to go to bolivia a place where they could be on their own again right theoretically right um the uh and, and even when you get to uh, you know this movie is referenced in die hard yes is that the idea of the iconic hero gary cooper you know like this is this is who john mcclain is aspiring to this yeah. classic american I'm going to stand up against all odds by myself right? because that is the right thing to do guy. Right. He could have just saved his wife, got her out of the Nakatomi Towers, and been fine. But that's not his code. No, he's got to do the right thing. And it's also Gary Cooper that I think all the uh, spaghetti westerns, the Mm anti-hero westerns, Mm -hmm. are reacting against. They're They're saying, okay, here's this perfectly pure guy, Gary Cooper, and that's what – and it's like, no, no, no. That's not. Now we're in the 60s. This is not who people are. Right. People aren't that pure. We're complicated. We've got bad parts in us. We're evil. Yeah. We have dark sides. And that's what that's exploring. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. it, and it really is a reaction, in my mind, to High Noon. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think you're right. I think what you talk about with High Noon, it is the zenith of Westerns 
at that time, like from from everything that's been leading up to the, it takes the genre and puts it on, on a whole nother level, a whole nother scale. You know, stagecoach is great, but I don't think stagecoach has the kind of, of uh, lingering effects that no. that that uh, High Noon does. There's just something about the portrayal. There's something about the dialogue that is fantastic. We should mention the writer Carl Foreman. Another t- mm-hmm. uh, he he left. He was one of these guys that was. Uh, uh, blacklisted and he left to Europe and I think Kramer took his name off the producing list as one of the producers and they never spoke again uh, but Gary, Gary Cooper and Carl Foreman kept a dialogue up oh, until his death. Yeah, oh, they kept yeah, through letters and stuff. So, you know, there's, there's so much involved in this film that logically, and I think for all of us who are film fans, uh, is a gift that it elevated the genre. It showed what the genre could be, what the, what the film has had the potential, what the genre had the potential to produce. And I think this is a great film. And, I've I've been going I've been on a westerns kick for like the last year or two just going back oh, through old ones and watching them whenever they show them on TCM or whenever I can catch them on some random uh, uh, channel or on Netflix or Amazon Prime because I'm obsessed with this genre because it is the it is the American genre it is the one no genre that is purely American and you can see our progression as a society through the eyes of these writers and filmmakers and actors who are portraying these parts and living out these storylines in the films so so why do you think and I don't have an answer to this yeah why do you think the western has struggled so much in the last 30 years I think because we've become a more because we've become so modernized, so technologically modernized, we've become so dependent on it that it it it, it isn't it doesn't uh, make sense for us to go back in time to westerns. So when I think the ones that do break through, like Unforgiven, sure. and I loved uh, uh, I loved Open Range, I love the assassination of right. of Jesse James by so, the Silverado is one of my Silverado, great movies. great western. Uh, these the ones that do break through have to break through in a way that. Uh, appeals to a, a, a wide variety of audience and um, there are some that are that are very like almost independent like the assassination of, right. of is but there are other ones that are more uh, more appeal that appeal to more masses because well, I think we always have to come back to our core but we don't need to have it all the time because I think at the time in the 50s and what have you we were exploring our limits our potential as a society space travel uh, going to other countries like communism there was so much that was happening and, a lot of frontiers yes a lot of and now Nowadays, I think we've we've kind of had, hit all the frontiers. The only thing left is technology, and we see that with the advent of sci- sci-fi in the last 30, 40 years as a film genre. It's too bad because to me, it, it almost as if it's ceased to be a genre. Like it used to mm. be, there were regular westerns. There yes, were, there are tons and tons of westerns yeah. made every year, and now it's sort of a specialty. Yes. Oh, they're going to do. Oh, three years have gone by. We're going to get another western. Yeah. You know, and it's it, it's interesting because like one one of the things I always think about is that. In the, in the first Westerns, in the early silent days, so for yeah. instance, uh, the tr- Great Train Robbery, uh, yeah. Porter. Tom, Tom Mix and all those guys yeah. back then. So right? the, one of the most influential short films of all yes. time is 1912. Well, that's only 30 years after you know, the 1880s. Yeah. And, and in most of the country, it was still really the Old West. Yeah. You know, it was still, maybe the train came, but they didn't have phones. They didn't have all the... Right. And, so that, and, and in fact, um, um, Wyatt Earp was an yeah. advisor to films. Yep. Into the twenties, um, yeah, and so and so that the connection to the old west, if you you know your grandfather was in the old west, yeah, and now I think that disconnection has been severed, and it's it's really and it's unfortunate I think for several reasons. One, because I just love them, yeah, and two, because I think that people often mistake genre for content, mm. because they go, oh, it's a western, therefore it's supposed to be this. 
Interesting. And, and this ex- the High Noon is a perfect example. You look at High Noon versus Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid yeah. versus The Searchers, and you go, oh, these are vastly different kinds of yes, movies. Yes, absolutely. They share a setting. Mm-hmm. But that it's not that we can't tell a serious story or a really funny story right. or a really uh, scary story set in the West. We yeah. can. But people have this certain expectation, oh, it's a Western, it's got to be like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what's uh, what can sometimes uh, work in detriment to a, to a Western. What I find ironic nowadays is that I've, I've been enjoying Westerns from other countries. Like The Proposition is an Australian Western. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, God, it's so good. Guy Pierce and uh, uh, Danny Houston and uh, uh, Brendan Gleeson. Just great, great film. And I just saw one the other day with Mads Mikkelsen and Eva Green that's set in, the, in Dutch. It's it's a Dutch western, and mm. and then we've got one that just came out that no that a lot of people are underground talking about Bone Tomahawk, which is a horror western with Kurt Russell that is supposedly fantastic. And so you're, the, I don't think this, I don't think the idea of the western will ever die because right. we as human beings, and I see because a lot of other countries see what we do with the western and want to imitate it. Obviously, Sergio Leone did that sure. in the '60s. There is something so intrinsically American about it that it'll never die in our society uh, as a potential. You know? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You know, as a potential uh, film to make. Because we, we have to... We always... We always find our way back to our core as a country, and the West is who we were. The expanse, all that implied, the terrible things we did to expand as a nation, as a country, but we are that. We are definitely one against the wilderness, against the odds, against whatever, standing up. And when people are telling us, no, you couldn't, you can't do it, you shouldn't do it, uh, it'll, it'll blow up in your face, we persevere, we push forward, irregardless of the results. Well, and, and this, is, this is why that idea to me of you're on your own yeah. is so profound, because what it does... Is it is it is it burns away all excess of character in a crucible, mm. and so it reveals like okay now this is who you are this is it's high noon yeah this is your moment who yeah. are you and we see revealed in this film each one of those characters what happens in that moment yeah you know and 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 western is so good at doing that yeah. because there's so little distractions of anything else mm-hmm. um, so what are your final thoughts on this film oh but just that I, it was great to rediscover it again uh, especially for something like this so my mind my analytical mind was more uh, in motion as I was watching it rather as something oh I'd like to revisit it so I, I think it's definitely one I recommend if you haven't seen it or if you have seen it after you listen to us talk about it go back and watch it again with some of the things that we've given you. And I think you'll get an even deeper uh, and fresher perspective on the film. And I'm very happy it exists. It's certainly something that we should always come back to uh, uh, as a touchstone in Westerns. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, there's certain films that I go and I watch 
for educational purposes mm -hmm. or for interest. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's check this out. So older films, silent films. And I'll go, and I'll, at the end, I'll go, oh, that was really interesting. Yeah. Or that moment was really instructive. Or this thing was great. And, and then for the rest of it, you judge it by its time and you go, all right, maybe not so much for me, but I, I'm glad I watched it. That's not true of High Noon. Yeah. High Noon, for those of you who haven't watched it, watch it. <laughs> yeah. You will like it. It yeah. is, it is, it is fast paced. It is compelling. It's dramatic. The tension rises continuously throughout mm -hmm. the movie. It deals with profound things in a modern way yeah. and still is, has that feeling of being an American classic. Yeah, so, absolutely. All right. Thanks. It. That's it for, that's it for the cinephiles. Yeah. And, uh, where, where can people follow you, Steve? Oh, uh, you can follow me at SR Morris, uh, on Twitter. And okay. also you can, uh, if you're into politics, you can read my political blog uh, a civil voice.com yeah a great blog i'm enjoying reading your posts uh on that on and all the stuff you're talking about it's really fascinating it's good it's not one way or the other it's very much almost like gary cooper academy you want to sure. kind of bring everything Try, uh, trying to trying to trying to walk a fine line in that blog you, you of, are of, of, of making people think and not just getting people angry absolutely <laughs> and you can follow me at the roca says r-o-c-h-a on twitter and on instagram you'll see in all the hosts that i'm i mean all the shows that i'm hosting and also uh all the shows that i'm guesting on all right thank you for tuning into this episode of the cinephiles and we'll see you next time